Well, in your Bibles this morning, let's go to the 14th chapter of Romans, Romans chapter 14, or 13 rather, I'm sorry, I'm jumping us ahead one week, Romans 13, beginning in verse number 11, down through verse number 14. Romans 13, verses 11 through 14. We'll pick up in the middle of this particular thought we began last week, and then we'll by way of a brief review, uh, will bring us back to where we are this morning. The Bible says, And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly, as in the day not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. I want you to notice that expression in verse 11, and it's part of where we're going with this this morning, but it simply says, and that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. I want you to notice specifically the word awake. Uh, It is a simple word, but it is a powerful word. It is a word that we are all familiar with. Uh, To say the word awake, we know what it means in our common everyday vocabulary. However, what is the purpose or the reason behind Paul using the word awake out of sleep? We know that primarily he's not dealing with awaking out of physical sleep. He is dealing with something much more deep. He's dealing with something much more spiritual than that. But let's remember what Paul has been teaching and showing us in the previous weeks before we take even another step further this morning. Paul has been telling us to pay very close attention to our submission to authority and to pay attention to our uh, relationships as it is towards one another. Now, remember, he taught us in, his, in our role as citizens that he tells us we are to honor the magistrates and we are to honor and respect and submit to all those who are in authority. We're to pay all lawful dues, we're to pay all lawful customs and taxes, and we are, as we learned last week, not to owe any man anything except love. We should always be in debt to love one another. He goes on further to talk about the law of love, and we dealt with that last week about how we ought to manifest that love more and more. So it's in the context of those two concepts or those subjects that now he he interjects this word, awake. It is a call or a rised action. It suggests movement. It suggests a change. It suggests a change in what we're doing now into something else. What we might say is what Paul's teaching us in these verses this morning is there are really three things we're going to look at today that the believer ought to have planned for every day of his work. Not necessarily his work as an employee, but his work as a believer. Number one, we're going to consider this. When are we to awake? Paul says now. He says the time to awake is now. Not later, but now. He's going to teach us what are we to awake from or awake out of. We are to awake out of sleep by casting off sinful works. 
And then number three, we'll deal with how are we to awake? And we'll look at the reality that we are to awake from sleep by putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. All of these three truths are very powerfully taught in order that we might understand what is the purpose of awaking, why and how. So when are we to awake, number one? We're to awake out of sleep now. Look at verse 11. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. When we think about the considering time, we consider the time in which we live and we consider the time in which Paul lived. Uh, Don't remove yourself so far from the time in which Paul wrote that we forget that they were also living in a very busy, a very perilous time. And Paul was saying this, our salvation then is nearer than it was when we first believed. Well, how near is it today? If Paul was speaking about now's the time to awake, where do we stand today? Where are we today in this spectrum of awaking? And that's exactly what Paul was talking about here. To pay attention or to awake out of sleep is to, we are to be aware of what the time is. We are to be aware of the journey is nearing its end. One of the things that has escaped the church, it has escaped from many pulpits, is the reality that the end is coming. And there is a time when the Lord Jesus Christ will return. I believe we have grown, we have grown into a spiritual deep sleep and we at the true heart of what we really are, I'm not sure we really actually believe it. We say we believe it, but I'm not sure we actually acknowledge it and live it. If you were to know for certain, if you were to, to, to be able to, to, to have a time on a calendar, I'm not sure it still would change our perspective. But Jesus himself has said he would come again. He's not, he does not know the time. He's not given us the date. But it is time for us to awake out of sleep now. To awake means we are to make ourselves ready. To awake means the night is over and the day is now at hand. In an object lesson sense, we all woke up this morning physically. I know that because you're here. We all changed from night into day. We laid our heads down at night and it was dark outside. We opened our eyes this morning, maybe, or maybe you were up before even the daylight is even up, but now it is a different time. Now it is day. Paul says it's time that we know the time, know the hour, know the moment. It's time to do something. Notice he says, and that knowing the time. That little phrase and that, it is an an exhortation that follows directly behind the subject he's been talking about. He's been dealing with the subject of being uh, 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 submissive to higher powers. He's been dealing with the subject of loving one another. And now he says, and that, in other words, knowing these things, now is the time for you to awake. Now is the time for you to rise up. It is a time of peril. It is a time of great trial. It's a time when the gospel right now is shining brightly, and that is indeed the case. Folks, I believe right now there is no greater opportunity for the gospel to be shared than it is and preached and proclaimed than this generation of people. It is possible for me to preach the gospel without ever leaving my house. It is possible for me to preach the gospel just in the avenues in which God has already given us. But we have to be awake to be able to do those things. 
We have to have, have removed ourselves from this spiritual stupor that we're in that says, listen, I have plenty of time. I'm going to spend more time sleeping. But the reality is, he says, that now it is high time, or we might say it's well past due to awake out of sleep. But what happens when you awake out of sleep physically? It requires us to shake off the laziness, to shake off the slothfulness. It requires us to, to, to move. It, it requires us to, to get up and to remove ourselves from where we are. Now, this is not the only time that the expression awake is used. It's used a number of times by the Apostle Paul. Let's look at a few of those this morning. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15, and look with me at verse 34. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 34. And Paul is uh, dealing with a number of different things, but primarily in 1 Corinthians 15, he's dealing with the, the witnesses of the resurrection of Christ. He has been defending the resurrection itself. And we're familiar with verse number 33 of 1, 1 Corinthians 15. It says, Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. There's that phrase, awake to righteousness. So we're not just simply to awake for the sake of awakening. We are to awake to righteousness. In Ephesians chapter number 5, verse 14, Paul again uses this expression. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. And we begin to see that this is a common theme that Paul continues to write about here. We'll reference this uh, section again in just a few moments, but look what he says in Ephesians 5.14. He says, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 6 through 8. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 6 through 8. Again, the phrase awake is used here. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 6 through 8. The Bible tells us that, therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So Paul says, consider the hour. Consider the day in which you live. Consider the season. Lay aside that which has declared your sleep and arise to righteousness. Paul says back in our text, for now is our salvation nearer than we believed. Now, some people interpret this text to be Paul referencing to a temporal deliverance or an earthly deliverance from the Roman authorities. That's not the context of what he's talking about here. He's not telling them that you're going to be delivered from the persecutions of the Roman government or you're going to be delivered from the persecutions of the Christians. Remember, we've talked about Nero was a wicked, vile man. He's not telling them, listen, your deliverance from Nero is coming. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about an eternal deliverance. He's talking about being saved and delivered eternally, not necessarily being delivered from the destruction of their persecutors. 
Christ had already said that their deliverance and they could be expected that Jesus Christ was coming. What he's saying is the time of Christ coming to reclaim you for himself. It's nearer than it's ever been before. And folks, I'm telling you that this morning, the coming of Christ is nearer than it's ever been before. And tomorrow it'll be closer. And the day after that, even closer. What do we do with knowing that the day is coming? The day is at hand. If we understand this, which I believe biblically is accurate, to understand it to be eternal salvation, if it is now clear, nearer than it was when we first believed, Paul's whole intention is to awaken and to stir up these believing Roman Christians who were refusing to arise from sleep. They're failing to consider the time. If you get up in the morning, you wake up and you've got to be at work at eight o'clock and it says it's 7.50 and you say, I'm not getting up, you're going to be late. You can blame it on anything you want, but you knew the time, but you ignored the time and you decide I'd rather sleep. Believers know the time. There's no believer today that can say, I was not aware that Jesus Christ's coming was sooner than ever before. We don't have that as ignorance today. So Paul is desiring that they would wake up to the reality of the time that is in front of them. It is much like running a race. When you begin that race, you're at that starting line and you can see sometimes the finish line down the road. As that race continues, you get closer and closer and closer until you can see the finish line. It is within eyesight. Folks, I am not a prophet. I don't have the claim to even know the day or the hour or the time. But I'm telling you, we have already been able to see the finish line for hundreds of years. You can see that Jesus Christ's coming is nearer than it's ever been before. If Paul wrote about it, then it has to be nearer than it, now than it was then. So therefore, the closer we get to the goal, the closer we get to the day, we ought to be running the race, not sleeping on the track, so to speak. So now is the time to wake. What are we to awake from? This is not just a general, hey, wait, uh, rub your eyes and do something. He says in verse 12, he said, the night is far spent. That means it's gone on long enough. The day is at hand. Let us personally, therefore, cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Personal accountability. You, believer, cast off the works of darkness. What are the works of darkness? This brings us to our second point. What are we to awake from? We are to awake from sleep by casting off sinful works. Casting off sinful works. Notice there's two things he says. Number one, we're to put off something and we're to put on something in its place. Cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. There's a casting away. Much like the illustration would be, there are clothes, there's clothing items you might go to sleep at at night. You, when you awake, you usually, usually don't go out in those items into public. Depending on where you live, that's not always true. But the idea is you cast it off the night clothes and you put on the day clothes. The night clothes are the illustration of the sinful works of darkness. 
The armor of light represents the daytime clothes, the clothes that are of the righteousness of Christ, the things that pertain to a believer. It is by the grace of God and the grace of the Holy Spirit of God that is our armor. That's why it's described as an armor of light. The the clothing of the believer is an armor of light. We are secure in that armor. We are secure in those clothing items. We We are protected from the assaults of the present evil world in which we live. I'm sad to say it, but a lot of believers get up just expecting the armor of light to automatically be there. But Paul doesn't say that at all. Paul says, cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Many people just roll out of bed on a Monday morning or a Tuesday morning or any other day of the week. And they just say, listen, I've got Jesus. That's all I know. No, he says, listen, you've got to put off your own sinful works. It's, it goes back to the principle of daily repentance. If, if your faith and your religion teaches a one-time repentance, that's false. It is not a one-time repentance to put off the sinful works of the dark. Guess what? We're all still guilty of committing sinful works of darkness, and we need a daily cleansing from that. He says, not only do you put that off, But you put on that armor of light, that gift of the Holy Spirit, that gift of being able to secure you. The night is far spent. The night is far gone. More specifically, Paul is describing the night here as the present age. In other words, the present age in which we live, the generation which we are now experiencing, it is far spent. We might say something like this, it's overdue. Again, if Paul was speaking about being overdue. Where are we today in this generation? The light of the world has come, John 8, 12 tells us. Jesus himself announced himself as being the light of the world. What have we been told to do? To watch and prepare for his return. Watch for his second advent, it's referred to. Are you watching? Are you awake Are you putting off spiritual works of darkness in order that you may put on the armor of light? This is about as practical as we're ever going to find. But yet, he says, the night's far spent. If the night's overdue, the day's at hand. In other words, you can deny it all you want. You can, that alarm can go off at 750 and you can say tomorrow morning, it's not 750 or 650 or 450. No, it's not. You can say that all you want, but it is. And that's the hour in which we live now. You can say, you know what, I think, I think God's decided to let us go a little bit longer. God's decided we're not such a bad people. We're not such a bad generation. And God's now going to reward us with more time. That's nowhere in the Scripture. The truth of the matter is, the Bible tells us very carefully that the day is at hand, the day of his return. Our salvation is nearer than it was when we believed. When we read 1 Thessalonians 5, we saw that that's part of our blessed hope. That's part of the joy that we have. And that's part of what helps us every day when we awake and we say, listen, we have the hope that Jesus Christ is coming again. Now, I can remember as a, as a child, I can remember sitting in, the, in the, the little church that my family attended, and I've told you this before, but uh, my, my pastor then preached about the coming of Christ 
every single message. There was never a time when he preached without preaching Christ and need of salvation and the return of Christ. And we have gotten so comfortable in this world that we are content to stay asleep in the world because this, we think, is all that we really need. And yet God says, no, it's time for you to awake. Walk as people who are in the light. 1 Thessalonians 5.5 says this, You are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Now's not the time to be asleep. Now's not the time to be asleep in our sinful works. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off. What are those works of darkness? Let me, let me simplify this for us all this morning. The works of darkness are all of our former sins. All of them. The works of darkness is sin. What are we to cast off? All sin. We are to put them away, take them off. They are the works of darkness. I mentioned to you we would reference this again, but back in Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, in the context of what he was saying in Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 14, he was talking about the subject of walking as children of light. He identifies them as what they used to be. And he identifies them that you were sometimes darkness, but now you are light. Here's what Ephesians 5, verse 8 says. For ye were sometimes darkness... But now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship, listen to this, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Awake. Rise up. You know, most of our former sins, if not all sins, are typically committed in the dark. Not necessarily physical darkness, although you would find that many things occur after the sun goes down. It is not a coincidence. Because man believes that as darkness falls, that he is somehow hidden from that sin. He thinks he's not seen. That's why some of the real things, when we start talking about real sin, again, I'm saying this cautiously, we talk about real sin happening in dark corners of places. You know, all of us, in our own way, have at one point or another tried to hide our own works of darkness. We've all tried to say, listen, I'm doing this in secret. Nobody sees really my heart. Nobody really sees what's happening. But I want you to know God sees it. God sees, sees that sinful work that's, that's not a, even a blatant sin like we would say. But here's the reality. He's speaking about those things committed in the dark that those that are in the light should not be committing those if you're doing things that you'd be ashamed of in the daytime, then you need to cast it off. 
You say, wow, we don't sin in the daytime? No, you see the illustration here. Works of darkness are former things from a former life. They are to be cast away. Paul exhorts these, for the most part, believing Romans to cast off. The word cast off is not just to kind of grab and throw. I don't know how else to put this. We have this mentality in Christianity, and I don't know who started, and I don't know where it came from. But we decided a long time ago that the best way to cast off our sins was just to physically grab the problem and throw it out the window or lay it on the altar. The problem is casting off means to do it with a hatred that I don't want this to ever come back. I've watched teenagers over the years give up things a hundred times. You know why it never works? Because they don't hate sin. I've watched back in the old days, some of the kids won't even fully understand this, back in the old days when there were cassettes and CDs. That was your normal. I've watched them put things on the altar and say, I'm never coming back to that again. And we praise them. Listen, all they did was threw it off, but they didn't cast it off. Casting off is to despise it and to hate it, not because just what the thing is, but because it's sinful. There was a movement a long time ago where some preachers got up, and I, I watched this, and this was the, one of the foolish, the most foolish things I've ever seen. He's preaching a message, and he rolls out a television set, and he puts it up on an AV stand, and he takes a baseball bat to it. He says, you know what the problem is? The problem's the TV. The problem's not the TV. So you watch these people that say, listen, I'm throwing all this stuff out. That's not the problem. The problem is you love whatever sin is a result of it. So what people say is, well, I just can't control myself. Then that's fine. But you're never going to truly cast off the works of darkness if all you're doing is getting rid of the object and blaming the object for your sin. The same people who say I won't have a TV are the same people that have a computer and they have a little device called a phone that is much more than anything TV even does. That's what Christianity has become. Just put something off. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul doesn't give an altar call here and say, listen, now all of the items in your home that can be perceived to be sin, come drop them off of the altar. No, he says, cast off the works of darkness, all of your former sin. Now that's where it's getting real. Because now you're telling people, cast off the sin you love. Cast off the sin that actually controls your life. It's not hard to cast off a television. Why? Because you know what? In two weeks, I'll go buy another one. It doesn't do any good to bring your music or, or destroy your iPhone. or just, it, That's just simply dealing with what's really not the issue. The issue is that we don't have a hatred of sin. And Paul says you need to awake from this. This spiritual sleepiness. And put on instead the armor of light. So he says cast off, which implies to do it quickly to do it with hatred of the sin and put on the armor of light. This is a metaphor. Now, I I believe the Bible literally, okay? But here's an example that if the the literalists that say, okay, listen, I believe everything the Bible says literally. Okay, tell me how you physically, literally put on an armor of light. It's a metaphor, okay? It's still literal, but it's a metaphor. I cannot grab a light and put it on me. 
I can stand in the light, but I cannot put an armor of light on me. I could go get a, an actual suit of armor that has bulbs in it, and I can put it on. It's pretty foolish, but that's not what he's saying. So when you see the Bible and someone says, listen, there are no metaphors, there's no allegories. Yes, there are. There are times when it's, he's giving you an illustration. And he says, it's an armor of light. And what this armor of light is, is it is about the grace. It is about the spiritual graces. It's not just about rejecting bad things. There are people who are on such an agenda to say how bad everything is and how wrong everything is, and yet in their own little secret corners or their own little heart, they still have that sin themselves. They say, oh, you're wrong about this. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. And yet at home and in their own life, they got this little vice hidden in the corner that nobody else. This is not just about rejecting vices and sins. This is about literally hatred of sin, awaking to the reality. Jesus Christ is coming again. I hate my sin, the sin that put him on the cross. I hate that sin, and I'm going to put on the armor of light, the spiritual graces that Jesus Christ has given me, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have lived in such a put-on, put-off Christianity, and we wonder why our churches are anemic. Because preachers are blaming the, the product. They're blaming, the, they're blaming the thing instead of saying, listen, what we need to really awake from is not that the TV is the devil's box. We need to awake from the reality that our sin is the problem. I've told you, and the Bible would back this up, we are so depraved you could put us in a padded room with nothing and you and I would still sin. Yet somehow we think if we just live a minimalist life and we take everything that could lead us to stumble, we're going to be perfect Christians. You're fooling yourself. And that tells me you don't understand the depravity of your own human heart if you think that the thing is the problem. Well, what about David saying, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes? He wasn't saying that's the only problem. Because look, add to it, you're going to have a problem. But I'm telling you, it is not the product. Paul was not asking them to leave whatever they had at the altar. Well, preacher, we live in a different day. They, don't have, they didn't have the same temptations that we have. Well, they still had the same biggest temptation, their own depravity. See, we've used that to excuse behavior. We've used that to say, listen, uh, my, my, we, didn't live in a, we didn't live in an internet age. Listen, it has always been a problem. Depravity has been depravity since the beginning of time. We, we, we don't need assistance. Paul says, listen, it's time to awake and put off, cast off, hate the, work, the sinful works of darkness that used to mark your former life and put on the armor of light. That light of that armor of light is Christian believing armor. It is armor that is given by the whole. It's the Holy Spirit of God. You know what's going to keep you from sinning? Listening to the Holy Spirit of God. Listening to that God-given conscience that says, listen, this is not right. You know where Satan's going to attack you? I know the belief is he's going to attack you through the internet. He's going to attack you by getting you to deny what the Holy Spirit of God is telling you to be the truth. 
This idea that says, listen, Satan's using my TV to get me. Listen, no, the problem is you're ignoring the Holy Spirit of God's conviction. See, a believer knows the difference between right and wrong. I question any believer who stands before me and says, listen, I didn't know that was a sin. If you have the Holy Spirit of God, I'm telling you right now, the Holy Spirit didn't just let you walk free riding through that. You may not understand all the implications, but you know I'm sinning against God. He says, you've got to wake up from this. It's interesting, people say, I don't know who I've heard say this, but I heard, a, I heard a man say one time, he said, the only time we're safe from sinning is when we're asleep. That's not true. Human depravity, you're even sinning when you're asleep. I don't understand that. That's depravity. That's depravity. It's not 12-hour depravity. It's not 23-hour depravity. It's 24 hours, seven days a week, 365 days a year. You are depraved every moment of every day, and you need the armor of light. You need the spiritual graces of God every single moment of your life. He says, you that know better, you need to wake up. You need to awake from the sleep in your sinful works. Cast on the armor, or put on the armor of light, rather. And then he uses really the, the, the most direct way, number three, of how are we to awake. He gives us the idea. He says, okay, now we're kind of getting the plans together. We're getting the directions. We know we're supposed to awake now. We know we're supposed to wake from sleep by casting off sinful works. We're supposed to put on the armor of light. How do we do all that? Verse 13 tells us, let us walk honestly as in the day. Not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Verses 13 and 14, verse 13 first and foremost, or not foremost, first, first rather, shows us how to walk. How are we to walk? Honestly. Honestly. We walk in honesty. When we're up, when we're ready, we're not to be still, we're to walk. Believers are taught how to walk, how to please God. Folks, I will never be able to drive this home any stronger than I'm going to drive it now. We are to please God and not man. And I'm going to tell you right now, they will contradict. You will never, ever, ever please man. And at the end of life, when Jesus Christ comes, you're not going to answer to me. I'm not going to answer to you. You are going to answer to Jesus Christ himself, personally accountable. And you're going to give a response. Did I walk honestly? Did I awaken and please him? Now, what he does say, is he does say avoid and don't do the works of darkness. And he gives some examples. He says, not in rioting and drunkenness. Really, there's three, pair, three sets of pairs he gives here. There's a thought, two, two things that go together. Rioting and drunkenness, chambering and wantonness, strife and envy. Three pairs. The first pair talks about not in riots and in drunkenness. Walk honestly. So Paul is warning against a sinful lifestyle that includes these traditional sins of the flesh. All right, so we're being taught how to walk to please God. We walk honestly in the day, not like we're walking at night. We're avoiding the works of darkness. 
where typically there is riot and there is drunkenness. Where you find rioting and drunkenness, there is usually chambering and wantonness. And where there is chambering and wantonness, there is usually strife and envy. Three pairs. Walk honestly is in the day. Drunkenness and immorality sexually usually go together. Sensuality normally goes together with that. Not meaning it requires that. But they normally go together. But what about the subtle sins? You know, the last two is interesting. Strife and envy. Those are the subtle things. You know, a drunk person's easy to identify. You can see it. The, re- the effects of what they took is outward. I'm going to tell you what's even more dangerous than the outward drunkenness is the hidden sin of strife and envy. Because nobody else sees that, typically, but God. But yet, isn't it interesting that he calls works of darkness in the same category, in the three pairs, drunkenness and rioting and drunkenness and chambering and wantonness, and he includes strife and envy. Oh, those aren't big sins. Those are just little things. And why does God include them with the quote-unquote big sins? We are to behave ourselves honestly and decently and walk in the grace of God. That walking in the grace of God is a result of the glorious light of the gospel that has shined in our hearts. It's what appeared, Titus tells us. We are to walk in the way and in the life and the light in which God through Christ has appeared. Let's turn to that verse. I think it's important for us to see that. Titus 2.12. Titus 2.12. Again, part of the the pastoral epistles. Matter of fact, I think we were either coming up to this one this Wednesday or we read this last week. I can't remember which one it was, but in verses 12 through 15, Paul is teaching on the grace of God. And listen to what he says. He said, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Honest walking is expressed in that text. How do I walk honestly? How do I walk in the light? I deny ungodliness, worldly lust live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world now, while at the same time, what's it say? Looking, walking and looking, walking in righteousness, looking for Christ, walking, looking, walking, looking. I'm not trying to be smart. That's the Christian life. I'm walking in what I know by the Spirit of God, and I'm looking always at the coming of Christ, that glorious appearing. Why? Because he gave himself that he might redeem us from all iniquity, including those three pairs of sins that Paul mentions in Romans 13. 
Christ delivered us not just from riding and drunkenness and chambering and wantonness, but also from strife and envying. The subtle sins of the heart. We walk honestly. He illustrates, Paul illustrates various sins which are contrary to honest walking, and he sets them down in those pairs. He said, now all these things are contrary to walking honestly. When you walk this way, you're walking contrary to what you're supposed to do. Rioting and drunkenness, we understand drunkenness, but what is rioting? Rioting also has the, the, the idea behind of intemperance or lack of self-control. It, it's lacking self-control. We say a riot is just people trying to get their way. No, rioting is a lack of self-control. Chambering and wantonness. What does he mean by that? Chambering and wantonness, this actually implies actual uncleanness. Things that are actually lustful and lascivious. These are the, these are the things, that, things that are actually unclean. And then not in strife and envying. All of these things are connected. A lack of self-control causes uncleanness. And they both will cause contention. I don't know the historical accuracy of this. I came across this, so it's not a biblical statement I'm going to make historically. It is said that among of us have heard of Augustine, or some refer to him as Augustine. It's okay, you refer to him however you want, but Augustine confessed that it was in this text of Romans 13, 11 through 14 that he saw Christ for the first time. You say, I don't see the Roman's road there. Exactly, there's nothing wrong with the Roman's road, but it's not the only way to see Christ. What he saw is he saw himself in those three pairs of sins. Augustine saw himself as being guilty of riding. He saw himself guilty of being of drunkenness. He saw himself guilty of chambering and wantonness and strife and envy. Do you see your own guilt? Or have you rose above it. Spiritual sleep says, these aren't my problems. These are somebody who's not at church today that needs to hear this. Because you say, oh, that's not my problem. I don't have a problem with any of these. If we didn't have a problem with it, why was he telling believers in Rome to put it off? It's an amazing how holy of a generation we are. We read these things and they, boy, I tell you, that, those churches really were a mess we say, I'm telling you what, I'm so glad that we're not like the church at Corinth. Oh, the similarities are astoundingly striking. Oh, we don't have that, partic- that really, really bad sin. That's not in our church as far as I know. Listen, personal accountability. Individual sins. It's one thing to say, hey, wake up, awaken to the reality that Jesus Christ is coming again. But he's not just saying, hey, be looking. He's saying, be walking right while you're looking. You see the difference? I'm afraid that there's a misunderstanding of grace. Grace does not mean that you just walk like you used to walk and you say, well, I'm saved by grace. I'm one of the elect, so I can do whatever I want. You completely have twisted, corrupted, polluted the grace of Christ. If anything, it ought to make you more desirous to walk in righteousness. It ought to make you more desirous to be awakened today by the reality that, listen, apart from the grace of God, 
I would be drunk in the ditch somewhere. See, that's when we understand what grace has actually done for us. And while we throw around all of our self-righteousness and all of our holiness and we throw it all around, we're still asleep. While we point out the faults in everybody else, we find ourselves saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about me? He says, put on Christ. Notice he says, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, again, a metaphor to illustrate the truth. Just like he's not saying, go grab an armor that has lights on it. He's not saying, grab Jesus Christ, put on his robe and his tunic and his belt and grow your hair like Jesus because you think that's what he looked like so that you look like him outwardly. Don't try to mimic it just as an example. He's saying, put on the righteousness of Christ that you have been saved by and live in it. That term, imputed righteousness, I, did never, I never heard my whole life until I was through seminary. I never even knew what that was. And yet, that's what he's saying here. Put on that imputed righteousness of Christ, which is your only hope of redemption. This is not just come lay your bad stuff at the altar. This is put on the righteousness, the only righteousness that will save your soul is the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on his righteousness for your justification. Put on the Holy Spirit of God. Put on the grace of Christ for your sanctification. When the Lord Jesus Christ is put on as Lord, he rules your life. He didn't just come to save you from eternal torment. He came to deliver you from this present evil world. Somehow we've gotten this all messed up where we just decide, listen, we just need to get people into heaven. And we're not preaching about making Jesus Christ the Lord of lives anymore. Matter of fact, the greatest division in Christendom today is, is Jesus Christ supposed to be your salvation and the Lord of your life? I can't believe we're arguing about it. Of course he's supposed to be the Lord of your life. I worry about the camp that says he's not. Oh, well, you know, preacher, there's, people, there's good men on both sides. What does the Bible say? I don't care what man is on what side. The Bible says, put ye on Christ, and he's talking to believers. I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a, a Greek scholar. I don't have foreign language knowledge with this, but it's pretty clear he's saying, listen, put on the righteousness that you already possess. That's making Christ the Lord of my life. But then he says, make not provision for the flesh. Our greatest problem is you make provision for your flesh to sin. Stop blaming everybody else on your, for your sin. Oh, it's the billboard. Oh, it's my wife. Oh, it's my husband. No, it's you. Everybody else is our problem. No, you're your own problem. I don't know where it happened and I don't know why it happened, but where the personal accountability to God has broken down, I have no idea. But that's what this all boils down to. 
He is saying, listen, don't make provision for the flesh, which you know is already inclined to walk in rioting, to walk in drunkenness, to walk in chambering, to walk in wantonness, and to be filled with strife and envying. Don't give it a provision. Make it as simple as I can. Don't give it a key to the door. I just can't get victory, preacher, because you're making provision for it. No, I don't think that's it. Then what is it? Um, it's my spouse. It's not his or her fault. You don't live with them. I don't have to. They're sinners just like we are. The whole principle here. Look what he says. Provision, fulfill. You make provision, it fulfills the lust of the flesh. Now, you see, if you have a King James Bible, and you may not, that's fine, but it says fulfill and thereof are in italics. They added it to try to give it more clarity. But read it without it. But put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to the lust. It's still real clear. Make a provision for the flesh, lusts are going to win. We don't get victory over sin in our life because we don't want to wake up from the sin. We don't, we don't really want victory in it. The devil's too strong. The devil's too powerful. He says, listen, if you will put on the armor of light, the armor of the Lord Jesus Christ and his light cannot be penetrated by Satan. Now, if you go out there and you try to take on Satan by just giving yourself a good old-fashioned pep talk, he will beat you every time. But you know there's a promise in the word of God that Satan cannot defeat you. He cannot defeat you if you are putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Christians are walking around today like, I am so defeated. I'm so beaten down. I'm so burdened. I just can't get victory over this. I can't. And most of it all, and I'm sorry, folks, this is going to offend some of you. Most of it's our own fault. Myself included. But boy, oh boy, when the attacks are real, it's so easy to say, you're the problem. No, I'm the problem. You're the problem. We are nowhere, he says, make not provision for the flesh. Now, he does not mean don't take care for the needs of your physical body. He's talking about don't make provision for the sinful flesh. Don't make, we're not, we're not commanded to neglect our physical bodies, but we're also should not be neglecting our spiritual bodies. Don't gratify your flesh with its sinful lust and its lustings. Don't cater to it. Don't make a provision for it. Don't set up projects for your flesh to participate in. Do you all know what I'm saying? Setting up projects for your flesh to participate in. It's that convenient thing when you think you just stumbled on it, but the problem is you made all of the arrangements for it to get there. Oh, I just stumbled on it. Really? Let's backtrack and see. When did you give, when did you give sin the key? When did you first allow it to get in the first step? See, we don't just stumble. We don't just fall into it. He said, preacher, what's it got to do with awakening? It's got everything to do with it. That's spiritual death. That deadness that says, listen, I'm just going to sleep in my sin and I'm going to wake up when Jesus comes and gloriously takes me home because I've been saved by grace. 
That's not the Bible. There's nothing greater than knowing you've been saved by the grace of God, but there's nothing worse than living as if grace has given you a license to live however you want. Not everybody who's out there preaching saved by the grace of God means what the Bible actually says. So you put on. Spurgeon said about putting on Christ, he said, Christ must be in us before he can be on us. Think about that for a moment. You can't put him on unless he's already in you. Second service last week, we talked about Christ being our hope of glory. If when Christ is in us, his righteousness is truly in us, that he is our hope of glory, when we have Christ as our Savior, we put him on daily. Just like when you get up every night from sleep, you cast off the night clothes and you put on the day clothes. When Christ is on you, it's because he's already in you. It is impossible for a non-believer to put on Christ because they don't have him in them. My righteousness, my, my worth, my merit is because of Christ and Christ alone. The only way for me to manifest Christ visibly is in my walk. Every day I wake up and I am either going to manifest the works of darkness or I'm going to manifest the armor of light. He says, personally, it's time for you to wake up. It's time for me to wake up. Not, hey, go wake your neighbor up. Not go wake your spouse up. Go wake up that person who's in, who is in backslidden condition. No, you need to wake up and do it now. Let's stand together if you would. We're going to pray and be dismissed.